Revelation chapter 3 from verse 14. The words will be on the screen. So we've been looking at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And today we're looking at Laodicea. Let's just pray before we come to um, this passage this morning. Let's pray God speaks to us. Let's pray that we're changed as we hear uh, what he has to say to us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for... Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you that we can sing a song like, I could sing of your love forever. And know it's true. Thank you for... Thank you for churches right across Teesside singing with a similar heart, singing of your love, singing of your faithfulness. Thank you that as we do that, it is it, 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 this sense of this cloud building, rising, a sense of incense, as the Bible puts it, rising to you, sweet smelling incense um, to you. And uh, I pray as we do that, as churches across this place, many would be drawn to you, many would come to know you, many would, be, would find their delight in you uh, and find a relationship with you. And I pray as we come to this passage this morning, would you speak to us? Um, would you um, lead me as I speak? Um, and Holy Spirit, come and um, speak deep words of encouragement, of challenge, of comfort, of um, envisioning into us, each one of us, and as a people together. Amen. Okay, Revelation chapter 3 from verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the faithful, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of the one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wonderful. Nice Mother's Day passage for us this morning. So these are the words of Jesus to this church. That's what we've been learning, isn't it, over the past few weeks, that Jesus has something to say 
to these seven churches. These are his words. The words of the Amen. Amen's like a confirmation. Yes, that's right. Yes, let that happen. This is the God of truth, the God whose promises will come to pass. This is the God of the Amen. Everything he does is right and good and true. And every bit of it you could say Amen to. This is the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Does anyone have a Bible translation that says the beginning of God's creation? Just checking out there. I know sometimes we read different Bible translations. That's okay. Yeah, some people are saying yes. Yeah, some say the beginning of God's creation. It can be translated like that as well. That doesn't mean that there was a beginning. God was, it doesn't mean that Jesus was created by God, that he had a beginning. I know Jesus has no beginning in that sense. He's always been. He always will be. No beginning, no end. It's more about Jesus' first place in creation. He's the ruler, he's the supreme one. He's the supreme authority of creation. And it's this Jesus who has nothing positive to say about this church in Laodicea. See, as we've been reading through all the other different churches, do you know, it's, it's been interesting, and as you read through all the seven churches in Revelation, you see that there's something positive that he can commend them for, something good they're doing, something you can say, well done, in that area. But not Laodicea. But, this is not a church he's given up on. And, and it, it says that actually it's because he loves them that he brings this message to them. So I want to start us looking at what Jesus has to say to this church by asking you a question, really. Have you ever drunk something, had a drink of something, that has caused you, made you, want to spit it out? Very, very often, Judy. Very often. Happy birthday for yesterday, Judy. Yesterday. Happy birthday for yesterday. Have you ever had a drink? And it's just, it's just caused you, maybe just involuntary, involuntarily, just to spit it out. Oh, that's disgusting. The milk's off, or um, the, the water's disgusting. Cowpole. Why are you drinking cowpole? It's for children. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one year at um, the youth camp we take our young people to, um, one, of our, one of our kitchen helpers, one of our kitchen volunteers, had been working very hard in the kitchen um, all day, working really hard. And I kind of just thought, you know, I just want to make you... Let me... Uh, you sit down. Come on, sit down. I'll make you a cup of tea. So I went into the kitchen. I was kind of banned from the kitchen. Um, but I went to the kitchen and I thought, I'll find things, I'll make him a cup of tea. Made this cup of tea. He was Iranian, so, you know, just not too much milk, but, hey, probably a, a, a lorry load of sugar. Uh, so, so I made sure there was a good, decent amount of sugar in this cup of tea. And uh, I took it to him. You sit there, you have had such a hard day. You know, he's kind of sweating. Have this cup of tea. Give him the cup of tea. 
think, well done, Simon. Well done. He takes a sip of this cup of tea. Oh, spits it out. Literally kind of spews tea across the tent. Oh, that's disgusting. What had I done? I'd confused the sugar with salt. (laughs) He he, he couldn't help it. It was just the most disgusting, foul thing he'd ever tasted. He just had to spit it out of his mouth. (laughs) I tried, yeah. Points for trying. But we have this reaction, don't we, when we taste something that's not good. Listen, Jesus is saying this to this church in Laodicea. I've tasted your church community. And do you know what? It makes me want to vomit. <laughs> loving words. This is, this is loving King Jesus. It makes me want to vomit. It's not cold. You're not hot. You're, you're lukewarm. See, lukewarm might not be the easiest word to understand if your first language isn't English. Um, If you have a hot drink and you leave it out for half an hour, say, um, it won't be hot. It's not going to be cold. It's kind of just going to be what we say, lukewarm. Still got a bit of its warmness to it, but it's not very nice to drink. Or if, if a football team comes on the pitch, jogs on the pitch, and uh, the, the crowd, instead of a massive roar and cheer, kind of just give a polite clap. We kind of say it's a lukewarm welcome. It's, it's a lukewarm reception for the team. I'm sure, um, Alan, our team never gets that reception as they jog on the pitch. But I, I think it's got a, a, a more deeper meaning here. And, and commentators and, and people who kind of study um, the Bible kind of say um, there's something else going on here and it's got something to do with La- where Laodicea is. So have we got a map of that? So, so just so we know where we are today, there's Laodicea in modern-day Turkey. That's where we are today. It's a little bit more off the coast, um, a little bit further in. Um, the ancient city of Laodicea was in kind of like a valley and there there were two nearby cities, Colossae and Hierapolis and Hierapolis was was known for its hot water springs that was a useful thing to have in a place hot water springs you could bathe in hot water springs there's a sense of refreshing in, in hot water springs Colossae Colossae was more known for its kind of cold mountain water Um, and again that's a great water supply to have refreshing to drink you know on a hot day a refreshing cold drink will cool you down but Laodicea Laodicea had no water supply and they had to pipe a lot of it in from surrounding areas amazing what they could do back then they had to kind of pipe water in um, for, for their main water supply from the surrounding area. But it, by the time it arrived in Laodicea, it had kind of become, in the, in, the, in, the, in the kind of journey, in the travelling, perhaps in the warmth, it had kind of just become kind of lukewarm. 
And that was their water supply. It's a bit like when you take a, a bottle of water. Here we go. Here's one of this is a child's bottle. It's a bit like when you take a bottle of water on a journey. You know, you start your journey. Perhaps your bus journey. You start a long day's bus journey. You start your, your journey with a bottle of water. It's quite refreshing, actually. You know, this is going to get you through your bus journey. By the end of the day, though, after being on a bus, after taking sips every now and again, you kind of get that... Oh, it's kind of lost its refreshment, hasn't it? It's kind of oh, it's a bit tepid. Almost sometimes a bit lukewarm on a hot day. Laodicea had a reputation for its poor water. It wasn't like the hot springs of Aeropolis. It wasn't like the cool mountain water of Colossae. They were both refreshing in very different ways. Actually, it was tepid. It was lukewarm. It failed to bring refreshment. See, sometimes you can read this passage and you kind of read it as, don't be a lukewarm Christian. You know, it would be better to be a faith-filled, hot for Jesus Christian or even a, a cold, unbelieving, atheist person than to be a lukewarm one. Now, I don't think that's what it's saying. I think what it's saying is the purpose of being a Christian, the purpose of us being a, a, a Christian community together is to be a blessing to God. It's to be refreshing to those around us. And, and if Jesus were to taste you and me, he would recognise that taste because he knew it had come from him. See, because what we'll see, and this is really important, is this church in Laodicea had failed to find Jesus as its true source of real wealth and vision. See, they'd become, a, they'd become like the city they'd lived in. See, all the churches in Revelation, in some way, kind of reflect a little bit of the city that they're in. Either for good or for bad, and Laodicea is no exception. See, Laodicea had become a very rich city. In fact, it had become a, um, a regional banking centre, so if you were passing through Laodicea, uh, perhaps further uh, this way into the empire or, or kind of out that way, you'd pass through Laodicea and you could change your money there because you may need to change some money and it'd become a bit of a banking area, a bit of a trading area, a bit of a financial area. And so with that had come real wealth. It was famous for its cloth and its carpets, which was made out of um, this kind of black wool that was known in the region um, and, and specific to, to, to that area. It was a medical centre. It was renowned for its um, um, eye ointments. They would produce this stuff that you could put on your eyes that would help if you had eye problems. Um, and it became so rich that when they had had an earthquake in AD 60 and much of the city had to be rebuilt again, um, they just refused um, and said th they said they didn't need, they turned down help from the emperor's like disaster relief fund. They said, no, we, we, we don't need it, thank you very much. We're rich enough. We can look after ourselves. 
we can sort ourselves out. Thank you, but no thank you. And it seems that this church has kind of taken on this attitude too. This is what Jesus says to them. For you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you don't realise that you're wretched. You're pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Jesus is saying, because in all your wealth, in all your prosperity, in all your self-sufficiency, you've shut me out. You've shut me out of your lives. See, it's a big mistake. And you can argue that actually, this can become a problem for Christians and for churches in our society. I'm always challenged, and as elders, we're challenged often not simply to decide that when we, see, um, when we see a problem in the church or a new growth area in the church, not simply to say, well, no, we're, we're okay for money. We're, we're far, we're, no, don't believe me, we're not flooded with money. But, you know, you know we, have, we have resources, we have people, we have some skillful uh, skills within the church. Hey, we can solve this problem, we can fix it. We'll just... Uh, we'll just give some attention to it, some real commitment to it. We, we can make things happen. You know, and I'm not knocking strategy, organising, planning, very, very important. But we can so easily miss prayer, can't we? We can miss the leading of God's Spirit. We can miss depending on Jesus, who, if he's not at the centre and the source of it, there's really no point doing it. We can often do that in our lives as well, can't we? My job has got me where I am today. My education got me where I am today. Or, or maybe we're not very, we don't feel very wealthy. We can, we, we can still have this temptation. This kind of attitude that says, I can sort anything out on my own. My determination has achieved my asylum status. My hard work did it. My effort did it. I can make the household bills work every month because of my great budgeting skills. Because who I am. What's the problem with all those things? Well, A, they're not true. But B, actually it becomes a habit. When the next challenge comes, I can do this on my own. I don't need Jesus. I can handle this myself. And here's a Bible passage that helps with this. And I think this is applied not, not just to wealthy people. I think actually there's application to all of us here. It says this, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, Jesus calls us not to trust in our wealth, not to trust in our own ability to achieve things, but to trust in him. See, wealth's not a bad thing. Uh, achieving things isn't a bad thing. But actually, when they become the centre, the source, we shut Jesus out. 
We shut him out. See, listen to the words of Jesus. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Listen, if you're sensing uh, God just highlighting things this morning in you and in your life, know that it's because you belong to him. Know that it's because you're loved. Listen, this is Hebrews 12, verse 8. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, nor true sons and daughters at all. Because if not, you'd just be sitting here saying, well, I don't need to listen to any of this Jesus rubbish. And what emphasis that has on my life. No, no. If you feel him just prodding bits of your life, know that that's because you're loved. Know that that's because you're a true son, male and female sons, and that you belong to him. And he, he lovingly wants to draw our lives in line with who he is, what he's about, and cause us to trust and delight in him more and more. Not because we've been rejected by him, but actually because we're loved by him. See, just like Laodicea, you can be very materially rich, but actually, in reality, be poor. You can, can't you? It's true. Listen, here's a, here's a really extreme, but I think quite a helpful example. One of the biggest rock bands over the past 40 or 50 years is Queen. Who has a Queen album? <laughs> Judy disagrees, but who has a Queen album? CD, MP3, whatever. Quite a, more, there will be more, they're just not admitting to it. They, are, they were a big, they are still a big rock band worldwide. They have sold between 150 and 300 million records. They just don't know, it's around that. And they still remained famous after the death of their lead singer, Freddie Mercury. And shortly before he died, he did an interview which was really, really intriguing. And he talked about being desperately lonely. And he said this. He said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. That is the most bitter type of loneliness. He said, success has brought me world idolisation and millions of pounds. But it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Wildly rich, but desperately poor. Listen, if you're a Christian here this morning, don't let self-sufficiency, don't let riches, don't let stuff, don't let success shut out Jesus. Listen, if you're not a Christian here this morning, don't think that success, achievement, stuff, will provide what you're really longing for. It won't. You'll find that as you enter into a relationship with Jesus, as you allow him in. Because that's the promise that's here, isn't it? It's in this passage. 
Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, this verse is often used in settings where it's used to explain to someone who's not a Christian what it means to become a Christian. As I've just done there, allowing Jesus into the door of your life. And there's truth to that. But actually, it's a verse that's written to Christians. It's written to this church. It's written to the people in this church. And so we mustn't miss that. It's as if Jesus is saying, listen, you Christian... I don't want you to remain in the place of shutting me out of your life. I want to take my rightful place in your life. I want to come in and eat with you. See, if if you're like me, you don't take time over meals. I don't. I just want to eat and move on. It's an inconvenience often. If If you could create a pill that you could just eat and that would fill you up, that'd be fine. I would be happy with that. I really would. I'm not, I'm not someone who takes a long time over, over meals. And I know there's going to be lots of people out there who will disagree with me, and that's good. They're probably right. In the, in the New Testament, in the time of Jesus, in the time of him speaking into this church, eating a meal was a very social thing. In fact, the meal that's referred to in this passage is the main meal of the day. You did not rush that. You took time over it. You socialised over it. It wasn't rushed. I know a lot of my friends from other nations will be agreeing at this point. That's how you do meals. See, Jesus Jesus says to us, I don't want to just call in every now and again on you. A quick visit, a quick half an hour lunch date. No, I want something of intimate friendship. And there is something of real intimate friendship there, isn't there? I'll come in and I'll eat with you. And you'll eat with me. There's a real depth of intimacy in that. That's what he desires with you and me. Hey, Jubilee, that's what he desires with us. That sense of intimacy with him as he comes in and eats with us and us with him. So you get a similar picture in the Song of Solomon. It's not often that we quote from the Song of Solomon, but you get an interesting picture as well in that of... um, you know, the Song of Solomon is a story of romantic love. It's a picture of romantic love between a lover and her beloved. Other way around, a lover and his beloved. But also it's a picture of Christ and the church. And uh, this is from chapter 5. The beloved. She says, listen, my beloved is knocking. And she says, she hears him saying, open to me, my sister, my darling, my love, my dove. Did you see? This is not a picture of a headmaster banging at the door, demanding to know where your homework is. Of Jesus saying, you have not lived for me this week. Answer for yourself. 
No, no, this is a friend, a lover, a companion desiring to be let in. This is not just managing life on your own. I can cope. There's a, there's a, there's a sense of Jesus inviting us in. Sorry, there's a sense of Jesus wanting to be invited in. And for us to go on an adventure with him. See, a life with Jesus is meant to be one of adventure. I didn't have time to study this, but I suspect when Jesus had meals with people in the Bible, there was always something adventurous to it. It wasn't always a nice, pleasant, normal, no-drama meal. There was life to it. There was adventure to it. Maybe you can just think of some examples now. Perhaps it'll be a good study one day to do. Look at all the meals Jesus has in the Bible. See, this living relationship is meant to be experienced daily. It's meant to take us out of the safety of self-sufficiency and the powerlessness of our own strength. It's meant to bring us into an encounter of strength and power in him. I love reading stories throughout history of people who have done that, of people who have let him in, of people who have said, Jesus, I want to go on an adventure with you. I love reading about George Muller, the 19th century um, Christian, who in, moved to Bristol and just saw just dreadful poverty all around him and saw kids just roaming the streets and left without families. And he decided, I'm going to set up homes. I'm going, to, I'm going to start schools for children in this city. He never asked for money. He never asked people for food or clothing for all that he was doing. But God always provided. Often he didn't know where the next meal was going to come from for children in his orphanages. He just didn't. And he writes, uh, he writes, numerous accounts of times when strangers would just leave stuff on the doorstep of the orphanage or they'd have nothing left for the next morning and the baker would just turn up and say I've overbaked, here's a load of bread miraculous provision and his life of trusting in Jesus for all he needed meant he could write this these are the words of George Muller Be assured, if you walk with him and look to him and expect help from him, he will never fail you. See, I think these words in this passage really do hit the heart of the human problem. The heart of the Christian message to you and me. See, in trying to do life without Jesus, in all the ways that we reject him. We think we're rich. Actually, in reality, we're poor, we're naked, we're blind. But the good news of Jesus is that in his death, he took on the punishment for that. On himself. Even though he was completely innocent of it. Of any of it. And in fact, it's through this that our poverty is turned to riches, our nakedness is clothed, our blindness is restored to clear sight. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's not necessarily talking about having loads of money. Rather rich in the way Freddie Mercury longed to be. Rich in the way George Muller experienced. Rich in the way that Jesus wanted these Laodiceans to be. Rich because all we need is found in him. We're almost out of time, so I want us to stop and I want us to pray and then we're going to break bread. Listen, I know for some... In fact, can we have the band up? I think it would be good to come back to Jesus in song and then break bread together, if that's okay. Let's pray before we break bread. Listen, there's a wonderful thing in breaking bread together, in taking this bread, in in drinking this grape juice as it is here. There's a wonderful sense that in it we remember Jesus and all he has done for us, that he took the punishment of our sin, of our rejection of him, and paid for it once and all on the cross. It's a wonderful act of remembrance. And yet it's so much more than that. Whilst this bread is going to stay bread, whilst this grape juice is going to stay grape juice, it's not going to change into anything, there's a wonderful sense as we do it together in faith, he's amongst us. There's a richness to it. There's a sense of intimacy with Jesus to it as we do it in faith. He's amongst us. So this is a really, really important thing we do. There's no ritual in this. There's no emptiness in what we're about to do. And we do it in celebration. We do it in thankfulness. We do it as a community together. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do that together after we've sung a song. But I just, I do feel that there's people here that are facing circumstances. Family circumstances, financial circumstances, work situations, asylum cases. And Jesus calls you and I, not to be self-sufficient, but to be Christ-sufficient, to look to him. And it might be, even as we break bread, you want to say, Jesus, I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm leaning on you. I'm depending on you. I'm trusting in you for this circumstance. You may even want to share it with the people that you break bread with. I also also do do believe as I was preparing God put this on my heart that there's there's people who he wants to catch up again in the adventure of following him in the adventure of living for him in the adventure of inviting him in and eating with him and that was the adventure that, that, that I can imagine that was that sense of adventure that 
caused a man in Durham, some people in Durham, to say, hey, we want to, we want to invest in this Safe Families thing so that it, it goes nationwide. Because we want an adventure with Jesus. Imagine that was the sense of adventure George Miller got caught up in. But do you know, I, I really do think, yes, there will be some who go to nations in adventure. But actually, adventure may just happen in the supermarket at the school gates, in your living room, as you do life with Jesus, as he calls you up into his great purposes, which may just be a conversation with your housemate in your kitchen, or kind words to that parent at the school gates. calling us into adventure and I do believe he's just calling some of us here just to just say Jesus I, I, I want to go on this adventure with you I don't want to live in self-sufficiency I want to I want to live in adventure with you I want to dwell with you I want to know that sense of intimacy again that you desire with me That's true for all of us, but I just feel he's putting his finger on, on one or two, maybe more, this morning. So as we worship, then we're going to take bread and wine, and uh, let's do it as community.